This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Friday, January 27th, 2023. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel elected to another two-year term, defeating two challengers and some calls for change following the 2022 midterm election results. Voting taking place at the RNC Winter Meeting in California. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, responding to the release of audio and video from the night last October when her husband Paul was attacked and severely wounded, allegedly by a man who broke into their home in San Francisco. White House urging any protests that will follow the expected release of the police body camera video of the traffic stop that led to the death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee, to be peaceful. Those who have already seen the video say it shows police severely beating Tyree Nichols. Former Vice President Mike Pence says that he takes full responsibility after classified documents were found at his home in Indiana. And even though he did not know the documents were there, that's no excuse. Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing charges against three people accused in a murder-for-hire plot against a U.S. citizen who is an Iranian American journalist who has been critical of the government of Iran. We'll also hear from Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland on this Holocaust Remembrance Day and President Biden making the reported change of his White House Chief of Staff official, Ron Klain, leaving next week to be replaced by Jeff Seitz. This from the New York Times, Dateline Dana Point, California. Members of the Republican National Committee re-elected Ronna McDaniel on Friday to a fourth two-year term at the helm of the party despite an angry pressure campaign from conservative activists and spirited calls from inside the committee for a leadership change after three successive elections of defeats and disappointments. Ms. McDaniel, a Michigan GOP insider chosen by then-President Donald J. Trump to lead the party in 2017, promised she would be the agent of change that Republican activists wanted. Chairman Ronald McDaniel defeating Harmeet Dillon, a legal advisor to the Trump 2020 presidential campaign, and also Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow and a supporter of former President Trump. Ahead of the vote at the start of the RNC winter meeting, Chair McDaniel is speaking about what she believes has been accomplished and what's left to do, and in a sense, why she deserves to win re-election. So I got to go to a lot of your states this year. I got to spend a lot of time on the road with you. I got to see you. I got to campaign with you. You give countless hours. You deal with a biased media. You deal with all the challenges of raising money and doing things because you care and love our country so much. But I do want to break down a little bit of the hard work that was produced this last election. We won the popular vote by 4 million votes. If this had been a presidential year, we would have won the Electoral College with 297 votes. That's a really good sign as we head into 2024. You know, the RNC, we don't get to pick the candidates. The voters do. They're the right people to pick that. We don't get to call the plays, right? We don't get to say what the campaigns run on. But we do provide resources, and we build a critical infrastructure to help candidates win. And this cycle, we protected every Republican governor, sent new Republican senators to D.C. from states like Ohio and North Carolina and Missouri. Florida is now a red state. 
Four years ago, it was in a recount. Iowa is now a red state. Ohio is now a red state, and North Carolina had a red wave election. We flipped the Supreme Court in both Ohio and North Carolina, and for the first time in 70 years, we won every statewide office in Iowa. We engaged, we engaged one million volunteers, made over 100 million voter contacts, we built 38 minority community centers, and we grew our party as a result. We broke fundraising records and transferred a record amount of money to all 56 states and territory parties. We tackled election integrity head on and we engaged in over 100 cases of litigation. Put 80,000 poll watchers and poll workers on the ground in key states and we built a new elections integrity software for reporting. We're working overtime to learn the lessons from the midterms, what went right and what went wrong. But let's be clear. We did fire Nancy Pelosi. Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy, a different Californian, is now the Speaker of the House, and we are already holding Joe Biden accountable. The issues this country was facing on November 7th did not disappear on November 8th. We still have a massive border crisis, 233,000 illegal immigrants and 650 million lethal doses of fentanyl crossed the border just this past November. I just went to the border. Everything they're saying about the border is true. It is wide open. When you talk to the border agents, they are dealing with so many problems. The horrors that they are seeing and the fact that they can't go to anybody because if they speak out and they say we need help and we're not getting what we need, they get fired. Joe Biden's turned his back on so many people and the border and the rest of this country. We still have raging inflation. December was the worst jobs report in a long line of terrible jobs reports. We still have a failed president who refuses to take responsibility for the failures that he's creating and the suffering he is creating for the American people that we are fighting for every day. Nothing we do is more important than making sure that Joe Biden is a one-term president. But in order to do that, we have to be unified. We have to be unified in that effort. And I'm reminded of a Bible verse that uh, Abraham Lincoln famously, famously used from the Gospel of Matthew. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel speaking at the RNC Winter Meeting in Dana Point, California today. Later in the meeting, the RNC members had a chance to cast secret ballots for who will be the RNC chair for the next two years. Here's the announcement of the results by Jeff Kent, RNC Rules Committee Chair. 167 votes were cast, which means you'd need 84 to have a majority. Uh, Lee Zeldin got one. I'm not sure how that works, but anyways. Um, Mike Lindell... Mike Lindell received four votes, Harmeet Dillon received 51 votes, and Ronna McDaniel received 111 votes. So I'm pleased to announce Ronna McDaniel has been elected chairman of the Republican National Committee and the gavel is yours. Congratulations. 
Um, thank you. We got we to gotta get Mike and Harmeet up here. Mike and Harmeet, can you please come up? Thank you for the race you ran, for the leaders you are in our party. We are so grateful for you. enough wonderful things about, oh yes, you may, thank you, <laughs> thank you, love you, about Mike and Harmeet. Art Wittich asked that we sing a song together. We all have come to the most unanimous decision of unity that we will not sing a song. Um, not singing. Um, but please, please, uh, join. we need all of us. We heard you grassroots, we know. We heard Harmeet, we heard Mike Lendell. But with us united and all of us going together, the Democrats are going to hear us in 2024 when we take back the White House and the Senate. Thank you. Thank you. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel with the two people who challenged her for re-election, Harmeet Dillon and Mike Lindell at the RNC Winter Meeting in Dana Point, California. Ronna McDaniel winning a fourth two-year term. Another New York Times story, a San Francisco court on Friday released police body camera footage showing the frenzied seconds when an intruder wielding a hammer attacked Paul Pelosi, 82 years old, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, in the foyer of the couple's home in Pacific Heights in the early hours of October 28, 2022. The court also released a recording of a 911 call made by Mr. Pelosi while the intruder was in the house shortly after he broke in and awakened Mr. Pelosi. In addition, the court released Capitol Police surveillance footage of the Pelosi residence and an audio recording of the police interrogation of the suspect, David LaPop. The article goes on, the surveillance video released today confirms the official account that the attacker broke into the Pelosi's home, disproving conspiracy theories among some Republicans who questioned the official account and introduced their own elaborate explanations for the intruder's presence in the House. Here is the 911 call from Paul Pelosi that day. Is the Capitol Police around? Two twenty. No, this they, is they usually protect my wife. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house, protecting my wife. Uh, no, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I, I, no, I understand. Eight. Um, okay, well, zero, uh, two, twenty-four, and eighteen seconds. Okay, good. Uh, he thinks everything's good. Uh, I, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Zero, uh, okay, call us back if you change your mind. Eight, no, no, no. This this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero, two, and so, uh, four, and forty. Anyway, do you know? Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He he uh, uh, he has this. He's told me he's, he's told me not to. Uh, he's told me not to do anything. The 911 call with Paul Pelosi last October, the night the suspect David LaPop broke into the Pelosi home. Police body cam video released today showing Paul Pelosi brutally attacked by DePop with a hammer. Paul Pelosi's husband, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, who was House Speaker when the attack happened, spoke today in Washington, D.C. 
It's with a grateful heart and on behalf of my entire family that we continue to thank people for all of their prayers that they continue to send us, asking about the progress my husband is making, and he is making progress, but it'll take more time. As you know, today there was a release of some uh, information. I have not heard uh, the uh, 911 call. I have not heard the confession. I have not seen the break-in, and I have absolutely no intention of seeing the deadly assault on my husband's life. Uh, I won't be making any more statements about this case as it proceeds, except to, again, thank people and inform them of Paul's progress. But that will be the end of what I'll say about the case. Thank you. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi on Capitol Hill today in Washington, the release of the video and audio from the night her husband Paul was attacked by that intruder. Current House Democratic Leader Hakeem Jeffries of New York putting out a statement calling the attack on Mr. Pelosi unconscionable and saying his assailant must be brought to justice. Hakeem Jeffries going on, we live in dangerous times of unprecedented extremism and political violence which have no place in our democracy or in the everyday lives of elected officials and their loved ones. The family of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old man from Memphis, Tennessee, who died after a police traffic stop, urging calm ahead of the release of video of what happened on January 7th. Stepfather Rodney Wells saying at a news conference, we want peaceful protests. The Nichols family members and officials who have seen the police video say that it shows Tyree Nichols beaten badly. Five now former former Memphis police officers are facing murder charges in the case. At the White House today, this statement from the press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. I want to start by saying a word about the death of Tyree Nichols. Last night, the president extended condolences to the family of Tyree Nichols and to the entire Memphis community. And he addressed the pain this is causing across America as once again we grapple with the fact that fatal encounters with law enforcement are disparately impacting brown and black people. As the Department of Justice conducts a full investigation and state authorities continue their work, the president has joined Tyree's family in calling for protests to remain peaceful. Last year, the president called on Congress to send the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act to his desk. When they didn't, he signed an executive order that included stricter use of force standards and accountability, provisions for federal law enforcement, as well as measures to strengthen accountability at the state and local level. Today, we all must recommit ourselves to the critical work that must be done to advance meaningful reforms. The president continues to believe that in order to deliver real change, we must have accountability when law enforcement officers violate their oaths. And we need to build lasting trust between law enforcement, the vast majority of whom wear the badge honorably, and the communities they are sworn to serve and to protect. Tyree's death is a painful reminder that we must do more to ensure that our criminal justice system lives up to the promise of fair and impartial justice, equal treatment, and dignity for all. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre with that statement in the White House briefing room at the start of her daily news conference. White House putting out a 
written statement after that says President Biden spoke with Mrs. Rovon Wells and Rodney Wells, Tyree Nichols' mother and stepfather this afternoon to directly express his and Dr. Biden's condolences for Tyree Nichols' death. During the conversation, the president commended the family's courage and strength. And Congressman Steve Cohen, Democrat from Tennessee who represents the Memphis area, tweeting, I grieve the killing of Tyree Nichols. With our new leadership, Memphis will see that reform and justice are served. As Memphis and the nation awaits video footage, people may want to protest the brutal actions of the police and should remain peaceful and calm. The U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and the FBI Director Christopher Wray asked today whether they've seen that video and what preparations might be made for possible unrest after the video is released. First, the Attorney General. Seen the video, but I have been briefed on that video. Um, it is deeply disturbing, uh, uh, let me say horrific from the descriptions I've been given. I want to give my deepest condolences to Tyree Nichols' family. Uh, I can't imagine the feelings that uh, parents must be uh, under these circumstances. Um, the United States Attorney uh, has met personally uh, with the family to express department's condolences and express his own. Um, we have opened last week a federal uh, civil rights investigation under the color of law statute, um, which we will uh, be investigating. We have been working in support of the state uh, and local uh, law enforcement uh, in this matter, uh, and we will um, continue to do so. Um, I, I do want to say, uh, and I want to repeat uh, what the family has said, that expressions of concern when people see uh, this video. Um, uh, we urge that they be peaceful uh, and nonviolent. Uh, that's what the family has uh, urged, and uh, that, of course, is what the Justice Department urges as well. Attorney General Merrick Garland at the Justice Department today answering reporters' questions on the Tyree Nichols case, the, although the reason for the news conference was a different subject. Also present, the FBI Director Christopher Wray also asked about Tyree Nichols. Have either of you seen the tape? And if you have, what are your reactions? And what is your message to the American people about where um, this department, is this department ready should there be mass protest? Is the FBI ready? Is DOJ ready? Should things get out of control this weekend? Yeah, I think I can answer all those questions. I'll begin with this. In that case. Uh, yes, I, I, what happened in, in Memphis is obviously tragic. I've seen the video myself, and I will tell you, I was appalled. I'm struggling to find a stronger word, but I will just tell you I was appalled. Um, the FBI, working with the Justice Department, uh, takes great pride in our color of law investigations, and we will pursue, as has already been announced, an investigation here. We'll do it professionally, without fear or favor, by the book. Uh, as I think is expected of us. Uh, as far as preparation, all of our field offices have been alerted to work closely with their state and local partners, including in particular course in Memphis, in the event uh, of something getting out of hand. But I would just add my voice to the Attorney General's uh, and to the families uh, to whom my heart goes out, uh, that there's a right way and a wrong way in this country to express uh, being upset or angry about something, and we need to make sure that if there is that sentiment expressed here, it's done in the right way. The FBI Director Christopher Ray today at the Justice Department.
NBC News writes, an initial NBC News analysis of social media posts has found protests planned in numerous cities across the country in response to the Memphis police's release of the footage of Tyree Nichols' assault that led to his death. Demanding greater action against police abuse, activists have organized rallies to coincide with the videos released in at least eight cities on Friday, including Memphis, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Portland, Detroit, Boston, Chicago, and New York City. This is Washington Today. Now to the U.S. House of Representatives passing a bill today that would prohibit the release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, or SPR, for non-emergency purposes unless there is an accompanying plan to increase oil and gas production on federal land. The final vote was 221 to 205, almost entirely party line, with Republicans voting yes and Democrats voting no. One Democrat voted yes, Jared Golden of Maine. This bill took two days to complete because there were dozens of amendments debated and voted on, the new Republican majority highlighting this use of a modified open rule allowing any amendment to be offered as long as it's submitted the day before it's brought up for debate. One of the amendments on Thursday was from Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia. It would have prevented the president from selling oil from the SPR in the future to combat high gas prices. It failed on a roll call vote. 14 yes, 418 no. Today, Congresswoman Green called up another amendment, which passed by voice vote. She spoke about both. Mr. Chair, yesterday I introduced an amendment that would take away the president's emergency power to sell our oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and give that authority back to Congress. Since Joe Biden has become president, he has abused his emergency power and sold American oil to our enemies. China was the number one buyer. President Biden abused his power to sell our oil, reduce gas prices so that the midterm elections would swing Democrats' way. It's a shame to trick the American people just to win an election. No president should be able to use their emergency powers for politics. While, many, while my amendment failed yesterday, it opened up discussion on how to solve this problem. While our leadership was working with me to protect America's strategic petroleum reserve, Democrats and the Mocking Hill media were making fun of me for having a failed amendment. I want to say this, true success comes through failure. And there's one thing that needs to be pointed out about our new Republican majority. We are much different than Republican majorities of the past. We aren't afraid of conflict, of disagreement in the public's eye. We have already proven that. What all of us are afraid of is not being a successful Republican majority for the American people and stopping the Democrats' America last policies. And what our Republican majority will continue to show the country and the mocking media is, in the words of our new great Republican speaker, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Today, I'm introducing a new amendment that would prevent President Biden or any president from selling our strategic oil reserves for political reasons. The American people don't believe President Biden should have the sole authority to sell our oil for whatever reason he comes up with. President Biden's war on American energy has crippled our country and led, left us vulnerable to economic and a national security crisis. 
Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican from Georgia, today on the House floor. Speaking in opposition to her amendment, Congressman Frank Pallone, Democrat from New Jersey, ranking member on the Energy and Commerce Committee. What the president has been doing is uh, using the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, to help bring down the price of gasoline at the pump, or in other cases to increase supply because of the supply shortage, because of uh, uh, Russian action um, uh, in the invasion of Ukraine. These are, in my opinion, totally legitimate uh, emergency purposes to help the American people and help uh, the supply chain. Now, um, what, what the uh, bill does is to say, uh, well, if you want to do that, uh, if you want to use the, the reserve, uh, then you have to uh, uh, drill for more oil on public lands. Well, isn't that political? A decision is made to say that you can't use the reserve uh, unless you uh, do some, uh, you help the oil companies and let the oil companies take more of our public lands. I mean, that's about the most political thing that I can think of. In addition to that, no, I'm not yielding at this time. In addition to that, was it not political when the Republican administrations in the past uh, released and sold oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? What did they do it for? Well, they did it for deficit reduction. They did it to uh, pay for uh, different items, like, 20, uh, like the 21st Century Cures Bill that, uh, we, that came out of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Were those emergencies? Uh, were those not political? I would argue that uh, using the, pay, uh, using the, the uh, reserve for those purposes was not an emergency at all, and certainly was incredibly political. Congressman Frank Pallone, Democrat from New Jersey, ranking member on the Energy and Commerce Committee, today on the House floor. The House ended up passing Marjorie Taylor Greene's amendment by voice vote. And again, the underlying bill passed almost all along party lines. One Democrat crossing over voting yes, and that was Jared Golden of Maine. This bill now goes to the Senate. President Biden's already issued a veto threat on it. The House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, says that House Republicans will not cut Social Security or Medicare as part of any negotiations over raising the debt ceiling. The U.S. officially hit the borrowing limit earlier this month, according to the Treasury Department. And the department has now been using emergency accounting steps to avoid default. They say that can last until about June. Speaker McCarthy was on the Donald Trump Jr. podcast, Triggered, Thursday night. Now we're, we're getting into a budget time and we're talking about some of those things. So I saw, you know, I think my father's right on this one. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but sort of the Republicans now climb. We must get rid of Medicare and Social Security. I'm like, wait a minute. No. So the one entitlement that people actually pay into for their entire lives, A, you crush your own people. I'm like, you know, the Democrats are really good at crushing our people to give free stuff to their people. Mm-hmm. Like we're crushing our own people who actually funded these things for their yeah. entire lives. Like, no. don't get me wrong. There's we, won't, of we won't touch Medicare we or Social of. Security. No, listen. They just made, crafted an omnibus that I opposed. Two senators wrote who are no longer in office. They jammed us at Christmas for $1.7 trillion and told us we had to vote for it. They, ha- they haven't even, the whole time Schumer's been leader, has never written a budget. And now the president sits back and says, well, you need to just lift the debt limit and just do it with that. Well, no. If, if you have a child and they're charging up the credit card, you don't just keep raising the limit. You, you look at where you're spending. Every household has to do this. Yeah. So I'm simply saying, look, let's be responsible, let's be reasonable, let's be sensible, 
but let's sit down and you're going to tell me out of these trillions of dollars, because this is what has happened. When the Democrats took over, just those four years, their discretionary spending has gone up 30%, $400 billion. You're going to tell me there's no waste out there? Well, I read there. I there's mean, no efficiency. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Donald Trump Jr.'s podcast Thursday night. Today, C-SPAN interviewed Congresswoman Shelley Pingree, Democrat from Maine, about the debt ceiling issue. The debt ceiling is something that we've done nearly 80 times. We know we have to do it. It's money that we've already spent. It's the responsible thing to do. This is not the time to upset the markets, to have the full faith and credit of the United States government questioned. We have a variety of ways we go about doing this every year. So it's ludicrous to say that we never negotiate about every single dollar. I guarantee you, as a member of the Appropriations Committee, we are going to do that every day for the next several months until we finally get an appropriations bill passed. And who knows when that will be between now and September, if even then. We also have a budget committee that sets a budget for this country, do this in the House and the Senate, and we do it in the Republican and Democratic parties. We have so many negotiations about every single dollar. That's what the Appropriations Committee is. It's going line by line. By the way, this is before we spend the money. So that's what a responsible family does when he's saying, you know, what does a responsible family do? Well, actually, you sit down and you say, what do we think is reasonable to spend? We go through that line by line. We go through that whether it's you know sewer and water systems, our national defense, um, everything that gets spent in this government is decided long before we vote on it. We will have enormous numbers of negotiations because we have a divided House and Senate and White House. And so to say that there's no other opportunity or this is the appropriate place to hold it up is ludicrous. I, I think he's just using it as a way um, perhaps to attempt to gain leverage, but it never goes well when you're talking about the debt ceiling um, as a, an attempt to kind of bash the president. But that doesn't make any sense in this point. Um, Donald Trump, George Bush, they've all raised the debt ceiling. It is what happens every year. Congresswoman Shelley Pingree, Democrat from Maine, a member of the Appropriations Committee on C-SPAN's Washington Journal program this morning. You can find the full segment with her archived at our website, cspan.org. Wall Street today, the Dow up 28, NASDAQ up 109, S&P up 10. Associated Press reports the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation gauge eased further in December and consumer spending fell. The latest evidence that the Fed's series of interest rate hikes are slowing the economy. Friday's report from the Commerce Department showed that prices rose 5 percent last month from a year earlier, down from 5.5 percent year-over-year increase in November. It was the third straight drop. Washington Today continues in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you get your podcasts. Former Vice President Mike Pence saying today he takes full responsibility after classified documents were found at his home in Indiana. He says he had not been aware the documents were there, but his lack of knowledge is not an excuse. Mike Pence speaking today at Florida International University. It's actually been a very humbling week for us. 
uh, but I know we did the right thing. Look, the proper handling of classified information is very important to the national interest. Throughout my career in the Congress and as your Vice President, we always sought to take great care in the handling of the nation's secrets. At the close of our administration, we did a thorough review of all the documents in the possession of the office of the Vice President and in the residence of the Vice President. And I'm confident that was conducted in a professional manner. But with news in recent weeks of repeated disclosure of classified documents in the personal residence of President Biden, and documents dating back to his service as Vice President, I simply thought out of an abundance of caution, it would be appropriate to review my personal records kept at our residence in the state of Indiana. And we initiated that process. Along the way, we determined that there was a small number of documents marked classified or sensitive interspersed in my personal papers. Upon making that discovery, we secured those documents immediately. We alerted the National Archives, we turned them over to the FBI, and soon thereafter communicated to the Congress. Now, while I was not aware that those classified documents were in our personal residence, let me be clear. Those classified documents should not have been in my personal residence. Mistakes were made. And I take full responsibility. And I've directed my counsel to work with the National Archives, with the Department of Justice, and with the Congress to fully cooperate in any investigation. Our national security depends on the proper handling of classified and sensitive materials. And I, uh, I know that when errors are made, it's important that they be resolved swiftly and disclosed. And my only hope is that as the American people look at our conduct in this matter, that they see that we acted above politics and put the national interest first. And I pledge to each and every one of you and to the American people that we will continue to do so. So help me God. Thank you, sir. Former Vice President Mike Pence at Florida International University in Miami, part of a speech that mostly focused on the economy and his memoir titled So Help Me God. He was interviewed by Carlos Diaz Rosillo, founding director of the Adam Smith Center for Economic Freedom at FIU. Classified documents found at the private homes and offices of former President Trump and current President Biden are under investigation by Justice Department special counsels. Attorney General Merrick Garland today announcing that three men connected to an Eastern European criminal organization have been charged for allegedly plotting to kill on behalf of the government of Iran, an Iranian-American journalist, a U.S. citizen, and an activist in New York who was critical of the Iranian government. Attorney General Garland speaking at the Justice Department today. The victim in this case was targeted for exercising the rights to which every American citizen is entitled. The victim publicized the Iranian government's human rights abuses, discriminatory treatment of women, suppression of democratic participation and expression, and use of arbitrary imprisonment, torture, and execution. This activity posed such a threat to the government of Iran 
that the chief judge of Iran's revolutionary courts warned that anyone who sent videos to the victim criticizing the regime would be sentenced to prison, especially videos contrary to laws mandating that women and girls wear head coverings in public. In the United States of America, our system of laws protects our citizens in the peaceful exercise of their constitutional and civil rights. The Department of Justice will not tolerate attempts by an authoritarian regime to undermine those protections and the rule of law upon which our democracy is based. We will not tolerate attempts by a foreign power to threaten, silence, or harm Americans. We will stop at nothing to identify, find, and bring to justice those who endanger the safety of the American people. Attorney General Merrick Garland today at the Justice Department. Washington Post writing about this case. The target of the murder-for-hire plot was not named in the indictment, but Iranian-American journalist Masa Alinejad, who has long been a critic of Iran and has been the victim of a previous failed kidnapping plot, confirmed in a video posted on Twitter that she was the target. She said in the video, I'm not scared for my life. I'm going to continue giving voice to brave Iranian leaders, women and men inside of Iran who are trying to save the world from one of the most dangerous viruses, which is called Islamic Republic. A deadly attack today in Jerusalem. The Times of Israel reports that seven people were shot and killed and several more wounded in a terror shooting attack at a synagogue in Jerusalem's Neve Yaakov neighborhood. Police and medics said Friday night. Police said the terrorist, a resident of East Jerusalem, was shot dead after he opened fire on the officers while trying to escape on foot and a handgun used in the attack was seized. This was all happening in Jerusalem just as in Washington, D.C., the U.S. State Department briefing was getting underway with Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel. This event just unfolded before I came down, and we are still gathering information. But the public reporting states that a gunman opened fire near a synagogue in Jerusalem. This is absolutely horrific. Our thoughts, prayers and condolences go out to those killed and injured in this heinous act of violence. We condemn this apparent terrorist attack in the strongest terms. Our commitment to Israel's security remains ironclad, and we are in direct touch with our Israeli partners, and our thoughts are with the Israeli people in light of this horrific attack. Uh, I don't know if you want to start us off. Sure, I have a follow-up on that. Um, sure. the, the, I know it's just unfolding. It seems to be quite a few people killed. Um, you said that you've been in contact with the VA from the State Department. What's the messaging? Is there a sense that this could uh, uh, accelerate the, uh, the, the of violence? What's what's the uh, sense of what is happening now and what you're, you're expect, expecting or what you're fearing? As it relates to this specific incident, Sean, we're uh, just uh, working to unearth as much information as we can as this uh, just happened. Uh, but uh, broadly, of course, uh, we've been in touch with our Israeli partners on a, a number of issues uh, over the course of the, the past days. Uh, and I'm sure that we will uh, talk about a lot of these issues, or at least the secretary will, uh, in the lead up um, 
to his trip this weekend also. Yeah, go ahead. Does it affect the secretary's trip at all, either in terms of, presumably still going ahead? I, I have no change in the schedule uh, to, to, to announce, and nor would I expect any, uh, any, any changes for the trip at, at this time. Just, um, I know you guys are still collecting information, but is there any indication that this shooting is at all related to um, frustrations that came as a result of the raid that happened in the West Bank earlier this week? I don't want to speculate or get into hypotheticals, Kylie. As I said, this just uh, this just uh, happened before I came down. Uh, and so uh, our thoughts uh, are with the Israeli people. We stand with the Israeli people in solidarity, and we're uh, working directly with our Israeli partners to uh, assess as much as we can about what happened and continue to offer our direct support. The State Department Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel at today's news conference at the State Department in Washington. The State Department says that Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be traveling to Egypt, Israel, and the West Bank from January 29th through the 31st. Today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day, January 27th, chosen because it's the date in 1945 that the Soviet army liberated the Auschwitz concentration camp from the German Nazi regime during World War II. U.S. Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, speaking about this on the Senate floor on Thursday. He is a board member with the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. He is the Senate chair of the Helsinki Commission, which deals with human rights. And he is also with the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, special representative to the Parliamentary Assembly on anti-Semitism, racism, and intolerance. 2021 was the highest number of instances of anti-Semitism in the United States in its history. We broke the record in 2021. According to the ADL, there was a 60% increase in 2021 over 2020 in anti-Semitic activities. U.S. Department of Homeland Security has issued a warning about the heightened potential for violent domestic attacks. These anti-Semitic activities are deadly. I need not remind us all the Trio Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh in, in 2018, where 11 people were murdered with an anti-Semitic activity. 25% of the Jews that live in America fear from violence caused by anti-Semitism. Mr. President, I've had a chance to visit a lot of countries as a member of the United States Senate, as a member of the House, former member of the House. I try to visit synagogues when I travel abroad. And it was understood that there would be security in front of the synagogue buildings when I attended the, the, the services. But I always felt comfortable in the United States that that would not be necessary. It is now necessary for synagogues to have security here in the United States and mosques and other areas that are vulnerable to violence caused by hate. We are also at risk today of our own democratic institutions. Anti-Semitism and hate is fueled by conspiracy theories. The replacement theory, which is based upon the old age anti-Semitic trope. That leads directly to violence. It's also a threat on our democratic institutions. Conspiracy theories about election deniers led up to the January 6th attack on 
this sacred building. We fight for the peaceful. We believe in the peaceful transfer of power. And we saw violence trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power, which is critically important to our democratic institutions. Mr. Putin's campaign in part is based upon anti-Semitism. He says he wants to denazify Ukraine. Ukraine has a Jewish president, I would like to remind my colleagues. We all have a responsibility to fight anti-Semitism and any form of hate in our community. Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, on the Senate floor on Thursday, talking about today, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. ABC News reports that the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, visited the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial and Museum in Poland Friday, marking Holocaust Remembrance Day and the 70th anniversary of the death camp's liberation. In an emotional visit, Doug Emhoff laid a wreath at Auschwitz and played a placed a white stone, a Jewish tradition, at the remnants of a crematorium at Birkenau. After walking under the notorious Work Set You Free gate, Doug Emhoff wrote a long message in the museum's guest book. Visit part of Doug Emhoff's six-day trip that is aimed at Holocaust education and remembrance, as well as combating anti-Semitism worldwide, according to senior administration officials. That from ABC News. Doug Emhoff is the first Jewish spouse of a U.S. president, or in this case, vice president. You're listening to Washington Today. President Biden announcing today that his first and only White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, will be leaving that position next week to be replaced by Jeff Zients. Jeff Zients is a former counselor to the president and White House COVID-19 response coordinator in the Biden administration. And in the Obama administration, he was director of the National Economic Council and the director of Office of Management and Budget. President Biden, in a statement calling Ron Klain, who first worked for Joe Biden, 36 years ago in the Senate, as tough, smart, determined, and persistent as anyone I have ever met. And about Jeff Zients, I'm confident that Jeff will continue Ron's example of smart, steady leadership as we continue to work hard every day for the people we were sent here to serve. President saying there's going to be a transition ceremony at the White House next week. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre reflecting on Ron Klain's tenure. Because you know I am a, a proud uh, Klainiac, as I mentioned here uh, a couple days ago, which is real. Just look it up. I just wanted to share a moment that I think perfectly encapsulates uh, how much Ron means to everyone here. We have a daily senior staff call every single morning. It's where we run through what's happening here. And uh, normally each department heads uh, gives an update on what's going on for them and their teams uh, for that day. But today was a little different. Ron started off by tearfully telling the team how proud he was to serve with them and how he was even prouder to what uh, we accomplished together over the last two years. And then each person went around telling their own favorite Ron story. There were a lot of tears, and uh, even, but even more, more love on the call. Office of Legislative Affairs Director Louisa Terrell told a story of how she got Ron a rock during a tough period because he is our rock here. Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall reminisced about how she had Ron, <clears throat> she had known Ron since they were kids who went to work for Joe Biden in 1986, a very long time ago. Domestic policy advisor Susan Rice called Ron the best chief of staff she's ever worked for, which senior advisor John Podesta then concurred with, with after he laughed, as you know, 
John Podesta was also a chief of staff here at some point. Um, IGA Director Julie Rodriguez noted how consequential the last two years have been under Ron's leadership as we pass some of the boldest policies that are improving the lives of Americans every day. And Counselor to the President Steve Reschetti closed it out with, I quote, you always paid attention to the little things that matter to people. More than anything, you've made this group feel like more than just colleagues, but really like a family. And I will add, just for me personally, one of the things that I love about Ron is that um, he sees you when no one else sees you. And when he does see you, he lifts you up. And that is what, I, what is the definition of a leader is, and that is Ron Klain. The White House Press Secretary, Karina Jean-Pierre, with reporters today in the White House briefing room. Ron Klain leaving next week as White House Chief of Staff to be replaced by Jeff Zients. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word, to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night and weekend. <laughs>